Hey everybody, Magnus here. In 1992, seven men disrupted the comic book industry. And it was awesome. It's hard to find a comic book publisher that launched with more anticipation, excitement, and hype than Image Comics did. Now me, I love Image Comics. So much, in fact, that beginning in March of 2020, I'm embarking upon a brand new epic mega series. These seven men are disrupting the comic book industry. I'm taking a fond look back at a handful of early image titles. What was good? What was bad? What were some missed opportunities? Well, things couldn't have been too horrible because those comics sold millions and millions of copies. So. Join in on the fun with me and take a fond look back at the comics of yesteryear. These seven men are disrupting the comic book industry. Atrenus Magnus Punches Reality Mega Series beginning in March of 2020. Only at twotruefreaks.com. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and what I've been doing for the last, at this point, several weeks is working my way through uh, the Legion of Superheroes five years later era. I covered quite a lot of them, at least by numbers, on a completely relative scale, I suppose. I covered quite a lot of them. Uh, last year, and so I thought, you know, this year is, well, obviously just getting started, at least for me, so I thought this is going to be a good opportunity to talk about some more Legion of Superheroes comics, at least the five years later era, so that's what I'm doing. So, it's kind of hard for me to put into words why it is that I love the five years later era so much, because when you think about it, this is pretty far removed from what the Legion of Superheroes had been in the past and indeed what they would be in the future. For some reason though, this is the era that I keep coming back to as my favorite, right? And one of the things that I sort of have to acknowledge in all of these Legion of Superheroes episodes that I've been releasing, one of the things I, I, I kind of do have to acknowledge is that in a lot of ways, for me, this is kind of the last hurrah for the Legion. I'm kind of to the point where I don't think DC Comics can... I don't, I don't think that the Legion of Superheroes is a completely viable concept anymore. And the reason for that is because when you look back at when the Legion was the most famous, the most successful, you know, the, the, the highest selling, the I think the sort of foundation for that stuff is the fact that the, the Legion of Superheroes as a concept had stable reliable uh, it had stable and reliable continuity that it could build upon does that make sense the status quo in the dc universe was very firmly established 
pre-crisis. And so that gave that gave the Legion of Superheroes concept a lot of eh, structural integrity upon which to build. Hopefully that makes sense. So the minute you take that away, which is more or less what happened post-crisis, the minute you take all that away, and I'm talking specifically here about the Burn reboot of Superman that happened obviously in 1986 and then going forward from there, the minute that the DC universe is a bit more in flux, the Legion is on shakier, shakier terrain. And I don't think that the, the intervening decades really did very much to benefit the Legion. This isn't anything against the post-Zero Hour reboot Legion. Some of those stories are actually really good. But the fact is, number one, the Legion of Superheroes needs Superboy as their foundation, by which I mean Kal-El, you know, Superman as a boy, not just a character called Superboy, but specifically Kal-El. They need Kal-El as ultimately their foundation, I think. And the other thing is, all of the, the reboots and the retcons, the, the revisions, the resets, and all this other fucking bullshit that DC's pulled throughout the decades, it has to have been a pain in the fucking pain to write a Legion title, considering the sheer amount of uncertainties that you're dealing with from one issue to the next. And so I can definitely understand where a lot of Legion of Superheroes fans are coming from when they say that they don't want to think of the Legion as a defunct concept, or they don't want to think of the Legion in the past tense. But guys, I'm sorry, I just don't think it's really possible to revive the Legion as we knew them. Everything that made the Legion great, I think, pretty much died with the pre-Zero Hour Legion, you know? And I'm speaking here as somebody who thinks the wheels came off the wagon pretty quickly with five years later. For that reason, I'm, you know, guys, you have to understand, not for nothing did I decide, you know what? With all this Legion of Superheroes five years later stuff, you know, I think what I'm probably gonna do is call it a day with Legion five years later. I'm probably gonna call it a day after Legion of Superheroes number 24. And then after that, any anything else I talk about related to the Legion, Honestly, if I were a betting man, I would say it's probably going to be some stuff from the 60s and maybe into the 70s and just maybe not everything. In fact, probably not everything, but just touch upon some of the stories that that I get into or for that matter, stories that I've just never read before and probably not go forward any further with Legion comics that were published after, I don't know, like 1991 or whenever. Uh, Legion of Superheroes number 24 came out, like 1990, 1991, just whenever that was, 92, just whenever. Not, probably not talk about Legion, Con I mean, I don't know, I, 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 I mean, I may do it, I don't know, but it's just, for as good as the post-Zero Hour Legion was capable of being at times under certain circumstances, I, I don't know, I don't know. And as to the three boot, honestly, I mean, well, you know what? Maybe that's another subject for another time. Anyway, all of this is a long way of saying that we're nearing the end of what I at least consider to be sort of the Legion of Superheroes heyday, you know, the golden era. We're, we're coming near to the end of it right now. So, and specifically what we're going to be talking about today, this is Legion of Superheroes number 11. Story is entitled Tenzel Kim takes a bite out of crime. Story synopsis, such as it is, is as follows. The bloody conflict between the Legion and Roxas has ended with stacks of bodies left behind in the aftermath. Roxas is on the run as Brainy rushes to save the lives of his friends and teammates. Meanwhile, back on Earth, Tenzel Kim has managed to build simultaneous careers as a politician and TV host, and finds himself appointed as lead defense counsel in the trial of Breck Bannon. Finally, it's revealed that Joe has been thrown backward through time by Roxas. To be continued. So, what did I think? Well, I seem to always start these discussions out with some commentary on the covers. And here again, guys, the, the cover for this thing 
it's good it's competent it i think adequately uh sums up what you know the i guess the principal story that this issue sort of revolves around but it's just not really dynamic or engaging or 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 what have you i mean it's i don't know it's not bad don't get me wrong and and it is drawn by the gif so at least there's that but it just seems like there's something there's something missing you know there's something that should be here but is not and i can't really tell you what it is i mean part of me actually kind of wonders if my real objection to the cover isn't honestly isn't the contents of the cover and i guess what i mean by that is uh how shall i say it legion number eight and number nine those were fill-in issues now yes those were flashback issues and i would say that they were very elegantly done flashback issues they're very gripping very engaging very entertaining in their own right but at the end of the day legions number eight and nine or rather legion numbers eight and nine these are fill-in issues which is again not necessarily a bad thing i'm not using that in any kind of negative or pejorative sense just saying that they are fill-in issues then we get back to the main story with uh, roxas stalking the legion and doing what he can to take him out and then for issue number 11 we get another fill-in issue a good fill-in issue a funny fill-in issue this is very again it's very entertaining very engaging and it really goes a long way to setting up who tenzel is what he's all about and all that fun stuff but at the, again as with numbers eight and nine at the end of the day number 11 is a fill-in issue and i i want to kind of nuance my objection to this issue because i do like it but i do have an objection and i do want to nuance it first there's nothing specifically wrong with this fill-in issue number 11 there's nothing specifically wrong with it except the timing the timing is what bothers me the the fact is some momentum had been established and then built up in uh, legion number 10 and when i was doing my first read of legion number 10 i was actually very interested to see what's coming very interested to see where the story was going and it does eventually continue just not in number 11 number 11 we get i, I just i can't shake I don't want to say sidetracked or, or we take a tangent or anything like that. Cause again, there are negative connotations to those words and I would kind of like to avoid them if possible, those negative connotations. But it's like at the same time, it's natural to want to continue the story and see where things are going in legions number eight and nine, which again, were fill in issues. There was sort of a, I guess a, a teasing effect going on with those issues because there was all this buildup with, with Roxas, he was on his way to Wynoth, and holy fuck, what's going to happen, you know? And that's that suspense is kind of baked in, intentionally or not, it's kind of baked in to the cake with Legion numbers 8 and 9. And so by the time you get to Legion number 10, man, you just can't wait to see what's coming. And then you finish number 10, and man, now you can't wait to see where things go. And you don't really see where things go. And it's, I don't want to belabor this, and it feels kind of like I am, but it's just, I, I want to make it clear, it's not that I dislike this issue, or it's not that I dislike this story. I do. I like it. What I object to, and I hope I'm being careful with this, is the timing. If, basically, if uh, Legion numbers 11 and 12 had swapped places with each other, well, I mean, honestly, even then, you'd you'd still have some kind of problems but you'd at least have you you'll have a, you you'd at least have dealt with the the roxas component of the story and at the end of the day you can't really ask for too much besides that so i don't know uh it does number 12 does kind of end the story in number 12 technically does kind of end on a cliffhanger there's a, a tease of basically we're starting the next technically we're we're ending the <clears throat> this whole five years later thing and now we're moving back to a point where the legion is officially back now and so the five years later story that the gif has been telling ends in number 12 and then we start doing something else and then that something else ends on a bit of a cliffhanger in number 12. so i do recognize that there are structural challenges and flip-flopping uh number 11 and number 12 with each other i'm just saying that in the main 
that I think would be the more satisfying way to read these issues, you know, and I, I get it. Number 11 is a, it is what it is because of the fact that the gift needed a fill in issue. So put inserting the story in number 12 into number 11 is kind of completely contrary to that. And I get all that. I'm just saying that it's the timing here that bugs me. But having said all of that bullshit, let me just emphasize that, again, I do enjoy this story. I do enjoy this comic book. And I do enjoy this issue, number 11. I do enjoy this. And to kind of get back to, I guess, the issue at hand here, looking at the cover for Legion number 11, I guess this was the first time that the similarity in in line style that existed at this time between Todd McFarlane and The Gift, this was the first time that I really became aware of it. Specifically, uh, Calorie Queen on uh, the uh, the uh, cover here. She just ha she just looks very McFarlane to me, especially her lips. Just look very Todd McFarlane to me. And then there's Tenzel himself, who looks a bit more vaguely McFarlane, but still kind of McFarlane-esque, I suppose. And then this little purple Oompa Loompa looking guy here. <clears throat> also has kind of a McFarlane vibe. And honestly, I find this kind of interesting because the GIF during his, during this portion of his career, he was accused, I don't know how credibly, but he was accused of ripping off this South American artist's line style. And the GIF has objected to ripping that artist. I, I Again, his name escapes me, but the GIF has objected to the this thing of ripping that artist off. He does acknowledge the influence. He makes no secret of that. But he does balk at this being a ripoff. And obviously, Todd McFarlane is not South American. This South American artist that the GIF is deeply influenced by obviously is not Todd McFarlane. And as for me, I always kind of figured that Todd McFarlane, he was basically a John Byrne clone with a fucking shit ton of lines added in. Lots and lots and lots of lines that I just, I don't see John Byrne ever using in any of his work, but it's like McFarlane took a style, John Byrne's style, added a tiny bit of Frank Miller to it, like 80s era Frank Miller, like 70s, I guess really more 70s and somewhat into the 80s Frank Miller to it. So it's like maybe 85% John Byrne, and then the remainder is is uh, Frank Miller. Throw those things into a blender, hit puree, and hey, there's Todd McFarlane's line style. That's the way I've always kind of thought of it. And so it's weird that the GIF and McFarlane are arriving at such such a kind of similar style to one, to one another from such vastly different starting points. It's really kind of fascinating. But here again, we have this problem here on the cover. We have a problem here of we have this problem with uh ears coming out of characters necks because here on the cover of legion number 11 it looks like tensil's ears come out of his neck and the reason this is kind of weird looking you think that this would have stood out i would have thought to to the gif whenever he's drawing this but tensil is wearing sunglasses and so the whatever you call these things the stems i guess on his sunglasses Obviously, his sunglasses are supposed to cover his eyes. The stems are supposed to reach across his head. And then they're supported by his ears. Well, his ears don't line up with the stems of his sunglasses. And you'd think if he's drawing sunglasses, the GIF would have noticed that. And think, hmm, maybe I've placed the ears a bit too low. And it's like he didn't notice. I don't know. It's weird. And I keep seeing this in the GIF's art. And part of me wants to play this card of, well, he's being a bit stylistic. But it's, I don't know, because it, it's happened so many times now, I just, I, I kind of have to wonder, but it's, I don't know. I don't know what to think of this. This is, this is just kind of weird, you know? And it's one of those things that once you see it, you can't really unsee it. So I don't know. So anyway, but to finally get into the actual story here, as we, as we're closing in on 20 minutes into this episode, to finally start talking about the interior of this comic... I I just really dig page one, and we're going to revisit in a certain kind of way. We're going to revisit page one in just a moment. But it's sort of like the introduction to, well, the <laughs> the introduction to, to Tenzel's TV show. It's just kind of funny to me that he's got his own TV show, and 
it's it this guys you need to understand that apparently this is supposed to be well it's an archaeology show let's just throw it all out there it's an archaeology show and it's this is just not <laughs> anything even remotely similar to science or to archaeology or history or anything like that i mean this almost looks like a 50s b movie you've got this mummy sneaking up on calorie queen and then Tenzel comes to the rescue. He's got his catchphrase. Uh, catchphrase. He says, "Jam, that gives me an appetite." And you don't want to give me an appetite. And he bites the mummy's handgun. And the mummy says, "He can eat anything." And Tenzel says, "And you can eat this, mummy dearest." As he punches the mummy in the head. And it's uh, it's just so over the top. I just. I just love this. This is, it's, you can't, how can you not laugh reading this, you know? And uh, Tom Bierbaum on his uh, live journal, he even somewhat addresses this. He says, in my mind, Tenzel took over a political talk show and turned it into a ratings bonanza with prizes and dancing girls, then started toying with the format and doing all sorts of r ridiculous Python-esque television programs for the fun of it all and to accomplish other less obvious goals. By LSH number 11, he was doing a series called Wild Archaeology in which he'd show up at archaeological digs and make completely boneheaded deductions about the findings. This is the red tape cutting cover that uh, gets Tenzel onto Earth during a period where martial law is being enforced and legionnaires are otherwise unwelcome. That week's episode of Wild Archaeology features a dig in the Jersey district of Metropolis that everyone but Tenzel recognizes as taking place within the remains of the Batcave. Tenzel theorizes that it's evidence that the so-called, or the quote, Titan Presidents of Bismol, unquote, did once actually stride the galaxy. And this is just such an over-the-top, buffoonish, ridiculous sort of uh, uh, archaeology show. There, honestly, I'm having a hard time thinking of anything that we could compare this to. I mean, this is like the most over-the-top reality TV that you've ever seen, where, let's face it, most reality TV... It's TV, but it ain't reality. This thing's scripted as fuck. And that's kind of what I think we're seeing here. Anyway, so on page three, and then getting into page four, Tenzel is clearly excavating the Batcave. You see rem you see the ruins of the Batmobile. You see the beat uh the beat up, chewed up giant penny, the giant Joker playing card, part of the giant dinosaur. From the Batcave, and he's even holding a Batarang on page four and, and panel seven. And any doofus who looks at this should realize this is the Batcave. And so, of course, Tenzel goes the other way with it, and he starts talking about this conspiracy theory that these are the Titan presidents of Bismol who were gigantic. And he's doing it not because he actually believes this, he's doing this strictly for entertainment value and i don't know why but it's just just the thought of this makes me laugh i would probably like i guess in an, an ironic kind of way but i i would totally devour a show like this i would watch a show like this if it actually came on tv and there's even a bit of a, a tip of the hat to the creators of batman where tinsel asks a supposed expert hey what do you think we're even looking at here? Do you think this is proof of my startling theory, Professor Bill or Bob Finger? And Professor Bob Finger replies, I think that's the most lame-brained, ill-informed theory I've ever heard in my entire professional life. And Tinsel's response to that is, thank you, Dr. Finger. You know, the Titan presidents wanted to provide security for their young, the kind of security you can get from Mutual of Obsidian. And then he starts going into his commercial bit. And it's getting into page five that we discover his show has been canceled. And I have to believe it's not because of the ratings. It's canceled because it makes just such a mockery of archaeology and studying history and all that stuff. Eventually, it just gets to a level where whatever network this show airs on, you think, OK, guys, even we have to draw the line somewhere. So what happens? He uh, Tenzel instantly gets offered this sort of, uh, uh, it's a, a reality courtroom, a reality TV courtroom drama type of thing. And Ten, uh, Tenzel instantly has an idea on how he can, how, how he can do this. 
So anyway, so that's that stuff. Now, um, I may as well just go ahead and get all or most of the 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 pages that are penciled by the GIF. I may as well just get those out of the way. We regularly get these sort of uh, breaking news bulletin type things. Um, there's uh, there's one on page two. Uh, there's another one. This is uh, page seven. And then we see another one. Uh, this is on, uh, uh, this is what's the Farking page, uh, page 14. Uh, so let's see. So there's that one. And then uh, we get a couple of other pages after that. But uh, you know what? We'll deal with those other pages when we deal with those other pages. But basically three little commercial interruptions, uh, breaking news bulletin, you know, uh, commercial interruptions um, during uh, during the runtime of this issue, all of which are penciled by the GIF. Now, the first, this is a, this literally is like breaking news bulletin, you know, and it's basically a talking head uh, <clears throat> news anchor guy who basically briefly summarizes the events of Legion of Superheroes number 10, specifically all the the uh, chaos and the carnage and the casualties that were caused by Roxas, and also gives a uh, health update on a lot of those uh, casualties. It says allergic reaction, Devlin Orion, stable condition, Bounty and Mecht Rans, extremely grave condition, Celeste Rockfish, and then believed dead, Reap Daggle and, and uh, Jonah. And that's actually a little bit of an upgrade or an improvement, at least for, well, specifically Devlin Orion uh, <clears throat> and uh, Bounty and Mecht Rans. Uh, Devlin, he had an allergic reaction to the bee stings and then stay, uh, uh, Bounty and Mech, they both had, they both had their, uh, conditions upgraded to stable. So they're doing okay. Celeste Rockfish. Well, I guess to deal with that, uh, getting to page seven, Brainy basically says, yeah, she's, she's done. She's going to die. And I did what I could. So anyway. Uh, one of the things that does come out, though, this is on page seven, Brainy definitely has his suspicions about Bounty. Not so much that she may have an alter ego and that he may know who that alter ego is, but she's hiding some kind of purpose. She's she's up to some type of game. So excuse me while I get a sip off of my orange vanilla Coke. You know, this is rapidly starting to become the official beverage of Trinus Magnus Punch's reality. In as much as I think I've had one to drink in every single episode that I've released lately, so hmm. <clears throat> and as we near the 30 minute mark, I'm gonna go ahead and get a little bit of vapor as well. All right. So anyway, uh, so moving right along, the last of these uh, story interruptions, this is, again, another news bulletin. Uh, and this one's on uh, page 14. It's it's basically uh, uh, a uh, an update saying uh, Roxas has struck again. He's killed a nurse and a doctor. And then there's just this this sort of funny moment where one of the other doctors who works in that same clinic uh, he gets interviewed by the news crew and he says, it was just awful. They'd, they'd been just really brutalized. All I could think about was, you know, it could have been me. <laughs> it's just, wow. Okay, so two of your colleagues are dead and this this is what you're saying? <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's irreverent. And I'll be honest, I mean, Legion of Superheroes in general, and I would say even five years later, it, it isn't really known for this kind of biting social commentary, this kind of witty uh, satire type thing that Paul Verhoeven made a virtual cottage industry of. But every now and then you get little bits of business like this that I think Paul Verhoeven would probably be very proud of. It could have been me, you know, looking at these dead people, you know, and these dead colleagues that this doctor was, well, I guess used to work with. I don't know why, but every time I read that panel, it just... It just makes me laugh every time. So uh, the other thing I kind of want to draw attention to, this is, uh, again, uh, this is the same page, but on uh, panel eight, or in panel eight, 
kind of driving home the seriousness of what we're dealing with here, the news anchor says, Roxas is now suspected of some three dozen recent murders, including those of former Legionnaires Block and Jonah. And I kind of like that this is, number one, it's reminding uh, the readers that Roxas is dangerous, guys. Roxas is bad news. This is a guy you want to avoid by whatever means necessary. And it also kind of heightens the tension going on with uh, Joe, because we know, or, yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, we know that Roxas killed Block. We may have forgotten just how many people he's killed in recent issues, so this is kind of helpful for that. But we know for sure that he killed Block, you know, one Legionnaire. So what might he have done to Joe? And we're going to find out what he did to Joe. Well, you already found out in the synopsis, I suppose. But we're going to find out exactly what he did with, with Joe momentarily. But at least as you read this panel right now, not knowing what's coming, you're very much within your rights to think, okay, so he's now suspected of three dozen murders. We know for sure that Roxas killed Block. Celeste Rockfish doesn't seem long for this world. And so what does that suggest Joe's prospects are? And I don't know. It's just, it's a good way of, uh, of building up tension. And I kind of like that. So anyways, so from here on in, at least for now, we're going to follow the, the uh, Tensil story to its, con uh, to its conclusion. So swinging backwards, uh, this is actually one more thing before we get back into Tensil's story. We do get this bit at... A, a clinic on Wynoth where I kind of touched on this but basically this is where Roxas is, is a hold, hold up for the time being he's trying to get medical uh, care considering how badly Bounty and then Joe fucked him up in the last issue it stands to reason yeah he's in desperate need of some medical attention right now and we never actually see him or the doctor that he's about to kill we can just we can just read that the dialogue balloons he's obviously in a lot of pain and there's also a dead nurse in the foreground that's kind of blocking the view of everything and i guess the the thing about this that really works for me here on page six is the the nurse is obviously dead she's completely still and roxas did this just for the hell of it you know he killed the nurse just for fun and games so in panel nine when you know after the doc uh, the uh, doctor has said there's really not a whole lot that he can do for Roxas. When Roxas replies with, I'm sorry to hear you say that, Doc, we can kind of guess that the Doctor probably isn't long for this world. So, anyway. Getting into page 8, we see a preview, uh, or not a preview, we see just a, a, a security recording of why it is that Breck Bannon, otherwise known as Polar Boy, why it is that he was arrested and then subsequently incarcerated by EarthGov. Basically, he was stirring up a bunch of uh, dissidents and rebel rousers in a, in a pizzeria, hence the title of this episode, the Pizza Parlor Push, and which I thought was kind of fun, you know, Pizza Parlor Push, but anyways. So that was the, the reason for uh, the uh, science police ultimately uh, uh, arresting and then imprisoning Breck, or at least jailing Breck, jailing him indefinitely. And so uh, Tenzel and Siobhan Aaron, they're basically watching the, the recording of his arrest, and they're having two conversations with each other. Uh, first, there's the superficial conversation that's being recorded on mic by EarthGov and the Dominators, and it's fairly pedestrian, mundane, straightforward, and self-explanatory. But they've also got these earpieces going where they're communicating with each other telepathically, and they're having a conversation that they know EarthGov would love to listen to if they could. They know the room's bugged, and so that's why they're having this conversation telepathically using these earpieces. And I just kind of like that, you know? It, it kind of drives home the fact that Earth is kind of a 1984 sort of dystopic shithole. At this point, they know that they're living in a, a police state, and so they're not going to give the authorities the ammunition they need to arrest them as well. And so, here on page 8, what Tinsel says uh, to Siobhan Aaron is, and that's why Breck's been 
in jail for two years for holding a pep rally in a pizza hall? And Siobhan answers, well, insurrection is a very serious crime, but what they're saying telepathically with each other is somewhat different. And I just kind of dig that. That's still not enough on page nine to, well, to fool Circe for one thing, because she and she and the Dominators are, are listening in on the audible portion of the conversation, and Circe just isn't buying it, all right? She's, she knows that, that the security camera is covered up, so all they can, all she and the Dominators can do is listen to what's being said out loud, and she's not buying it. She thinks there's more to this meeting between Tensel and Siobhan than meets the eye, literally, because they can't see anything, because the camera's been blocked. So what they hear, she just isn't convinced that's all that's happening in the room between Tenzel and Siobhan, and she's right. My guess is if she could see the ear uh, the uh, earpieces that uh, uh, Tenzel and Siobhan are using to, to communicate with each other, she'd be able to figure out pretty quickly what the game is. And so there's that. So getting into page 10 and then going forward, uh, page 10 and 11 and 12 and so on from there, we basically see... Uh, Tenzel decide to take on uh, uh, Breck's case and he kind of has to talk Breck into it and then what he realizes is holy shit the trial's going to be starting soon I've had no time to prepare now thank god that the uh, prosecuting attorney is well she's friendly uh, this is Miss Jacoby she's friendly to the Legion she's friendly to Tenzel she's friendly to this cause but at the end of the day sh this case was assigned to her and she does have to follow through. So she's like, look, I would drop these charges immediately if I could, but that would raise too many suspicions. You have to find, this is basically her point, you have to find a way for me to drop the charges, even if it's on the flimsiest of pretext, okay? I have to have something, no matter how stupid, inadequate, or insane it might sound, you have to give me something. Something that will allow me to 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 drop the charges because they all know he can't win you know if this has to be decided like officially in a court he can't win and so the strategy is to is to give miss jacoby an excuse to to drop the charges and as she's doing all of this as they're having this conversation with one another in this kind of shithole diner she's playing footsies with them you know so you know this suspicion that a lot of people have that defense attorneys and prosecuting attorneys are a lot friendlier with each other than you might think if you just watch their behaviors in court. Well, looks like somebody involved with this issue is um, kind of coming from a similar similar opinion, it seems. So, anyways, uh, so moving right along, uh, this is uh, this is getting into to uh, what the fuck pages. Oh yeah, uh, this is page fifteen. This is sort of a, a takeoff of page one where. This is more or less the same, the same opening, or it's a variation on the same opening that Tenzel used for his archaeology show. Now he's he's using it for the opening sequence of his uh, court TV show, and it's a woman, a damsel in distress. She's she gets harassed. Tenzel swoops to the rescue. Uh, she even says, "Again, you got to have some kind of a food reference going on here." So she says, "Oh, what a pickle!" So as Tinsel leaps through the skylight, he says, Pickle, that gives me an appetite. And you don't want to give me an appetite. And so he takes a bite out of the, the uh, uh, evil judge's gavel. And the judge says, he can eat anything. And Tinsel responds with, and you can eat this, habeas doofus, as he punches the evil judge across the room. And it's... it's <laughs> Um, except for the the legal theme with this opening sequence, it's virtually identical to the uh, opening of the archaeology show, and I don't know why I just love it. Now, I kind of hit upon uh, this this next little bit of business beginning on page sixteen. I hit upon this when I was going through my Legion of Superheroes five years later read the first time around, like the first read. I kind of hit upon this myself, but it was kind of nice to know that I'm not the only one that was thinking about this. Tom Bierbaum on his live journal, he even makes reference to the the uh, media circus that this trial has turned into, having cameras in the court and all that. And then he even kind of mused that this sort of pre... No, well, not 
completely predicted, but it kind of half-assed predicted the uh, trial of O.J. Simpson, which cover date on on this issue is 1990. So obviously we're still like four or five years away from that. But you really can't ignore the 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 similarities going on here between Brecht's trial and the O.J. trial. You know, with media ratings, uh, cameras, you know, bobbing around in the courtroom, uh, a, a, a huge media circus and a, you know, a legal team, both prosecute, uh, prosecution, defense, and even the judge to some degree, all kind of playing to the cameras a little bit. And basically you've got Tinsel. He's making just one bullshit defense after another. It's all very silly and very slapsticky. And uh, I don't know. It's just, to me, it's, it, it's, it's funny and it's very effective. Probably my favorite moment is the very bottom of, uh, of page 19, where the judge finally fucking loses it on Tinsel for trying to claim that Breck just isn't mentally competent to stand trial. And if he can find a way to get that to stick, then he and Brett can make a pretty quick run for it. So the judge pretty much loses it right there. And he says, that does it. I won't stand for this anymore. Your client knew exactly what he was doing, Mr. Kim. Any attempt to dispute his sanity is hereby ruled a self-evident fraud and will be grounds for contempt. Now call your next witness or rest your case. Well, Tenzel sees an opportunity there, right? Because... Breck has been in jail for two years, allegedly, like this is the pretext, he's been in jail on the pretext of the legal system trying to determine his competency to stand trial. And so Tenzel realizes he's kind of worked the judge into sort of a logical bind here. If the judge says that the defendant is clearly mentally competent, mentally fit to stand trial, then it can only follow from reasonable logic that he was denied the right to a speedy trial because he's been incarcerated for two years now. If the judge says that the defendant is not competent to stand trial, then then that's the end of it. Either way, the trial has to end right now because the judge didn't really think about, you know, the consequences of what he was saying. So it's, you know, it's flimsy. It probably wouldn't hold up. It was just such an out of... It's just such an amazing curveball that that Tenzel threw at the judge that Miss Jacoby instantly agrees to to drop the charges, and so this probably wouldn't last very long. But they they at least have the good sense that you know, okay, hey, they're gonna come for us no matter what. We need to get the hell out of Dodge while we still can. So they you can just picture it. They leave straight from the courthouse, go to the Metropolis spaceport, get on the first ship out of there, and haul balls off the planet. And Mr. Kobe even kisses Tenzel on the way out. And I just kind of like this. This is this is just so good. I mean, yeah, this is kind of an unwelcome distraction from the, from the story that had been unfolding up to this point. But it's like at the same time, when you move away from the the kind of sidetrack that this that this story kind of represents i still think it's it's still good but just like i say for me what it really comes down to is just the the bad timing of this fill-in issue put it that way so anywho so uh so let's see so that's that's uh page 21 getting into page 23 and then just sort of going forward from there well page pages 23 and 24 uh, we finally catch up with Joe. He, uh, on page 23, he's getting uh, whisked around through this kind of Star Trek, the motion picture sort of kaleidoscopic page. And you can see a bunch of dialogue balloons from Legion of Superheroes back issues, some of which are fairly recent. I get the idea that some of these dialogue balloons go pretty fucking far back in, in uh, Legion history. I mean... I don't know enough about Legion history to tell you with any kind of authority or certainty, you know, how far back they go, which issues specifically that all these dialogue balloons come from. But supposedly every single piece of dialogue here comes from some previous Legion of Superheroes back issue. And Joe is, <clears throat> is hearing all this and presumably more as he's uh, flung backward through time. And I guess the reason that, that I like this is 
it could have just been a because uh, this is a splash page and let's face it guys five years later this five years later series up to this point hasn't really been defined all that much by splash pages so to get one like this that means something you know or at least it means more than nothing and as it turns out Tom Beerbaum even commented on this as well uh, on uh, his uh, live journal he says there are six Keith pages in this issue touching bases with the regular storyline. To me, the most interesting of those pages uh, shows Joe flying through parts unknown after having been zapped by Roxas in issue number 10. There's a spiral of word balloons that, without explanation, represent traveling backward in time. Since the further they go from the reader's eye, the further back in time uh, they go. I believe virtually every one of the uh, balloons is from Legion history, though I think some of them may have been from stories yet to be published at that time. I think at least one letter writer tried to identify as many of the word balloons as he could. I know we selected some quotes from that uh, first Universo story where he sent the Legionnaires back in time, plus uh, the soldier story from the Grell years that took place in, I think, the 27th century. And we took a quote from the appearance of Antenna Lad whose crazy-looking ears could pick up uh, radio transmissions from throughout time. Here we used the, uh, the one snippet that Antenna Lad had picked up during his brief Legion tryout that's always been stuck in my mind. He's Three-Eyed Sam, three Sam from the planet. Wham! And I don't know, I just like this. There's a, you know, the, the part of me that's a, a continuity buff kind of likes the fact that the, the majority of these uh, dialogue balloons on uh, page 23 the majority of them are well I, in fact maybe all of them but at least at the very least the majority of them could could have been found in legion back uh, back issues even circa 1990 so anyway so I, I think technically i'm supposed to do some feedback right about now but honestly i'm getting really hungry i want to get a snack and so uh, i i'm sorry i just don't really foresee the uh, possibility of doing any feedback now i do believe that's the end for me for issue for Legion of Superheroes uh, number 11. I'm not completely sure what I want to talk about next week. There is a sense in which it does make some kind of sense to uh, finish up where we're leaving off here by talking about Legion of Superheroes number 12. But then again, Legion of Superheroes number 12 ends on a cliffhanger. So what do I talk about the week after that? Legion of Superheroes number 13? Well, maybe, you know, maybe that's not a bad idea, but um, I don't know. So all of this is kind of a long way of saying I'm not really sure what I'm going to be talking about next week, or for that matter, if there even will be an episode next week. But, you know, whatever happens is going to happen. But uh, all the same, I think that's pretty much it for me for this week. So bye, everybody. I will see you next week. So I think that's just about the end of that. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network. You can find the home for Trennis Magnus Punches Reality at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find this show on Facebook just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. There you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when I put them up. My Facebook group is the only official place where you can find everything that has anything to do with this show. The reason for that is because I despise Twitter. Pretty much everything about Twitter sucks. So join the Facebook group today. Speaking of Facebook, you can friend me just by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. You can email me and my parole officer at trennismagnus at gmail.com. But remember, all feedback and correspondence emailed to me will be read on mic unless you request otherwise. So, if your email isn't intended for public consumption, don't forget to say so. Otherwise, I'll assume that you want your correspondence to be heard by my dozens. 
and dozens of fans across the world. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise! Since we're on the subject of feedback, Trentus Magnus Punches Reality can be found on iTunes just by searching for Trentus Magnus Punches Reality. Won't you take a moment to rate my show on iTunes? That helps new listeners find the show. And, just in case you don't think that I've given you enough shit to click on just yet, you can sponsor my show simply by going to twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the PayPal button, donate any amount at all, specify that you're sending Magnus some monetary love, and you will be an official sponsor of my show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there's no minimum donation. Be a Trennis Magnus show sponsor today. I don't have a Patreon, because if you think that I hate Twitter, boy, just wait till you hear what I think of Patreon. So, if you want to throw some bucks my way, the Two True Freaks PayPal link is the way to do it. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law. Some assembly required. Batteries not included. Many will enter. Few will win. The white zone is for passenger loading and unloading only. All models are over the age of 18. Trennis Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsacor of Milan, Italy. <laughs>